1: Is Dan Hanford. Thanks for being on the show again, Dan. Glad to be here, Whitney, as always. I know if you've been listening to the show very long at all, you've heard Dan and I have numerous conversations. He has become an expert in the syndication business and growing an amazing brand. And he's shared been very generous with sharing how he's done that in numerous episodes. So I would encourage you to go back and listen to those a little about him. He has an extensive, successful background of starting multiple seven figure businesses from scratch, including a large group of non surgical orthopedic medical clinics located in South Carolina. He's a founder of the Multifamily Investor Nation, where he educates a nationwide group of over 25,000 members of multifamily investors on how to properly invest in multifamily assets. He's also the co host, along with his wife, Danae, of the Tough Decisions for Entrepreneurs podcast. Dan, thank you again for your time. I'm looking forward to another discussion and something that's kind of come out new in the industry lately, and you all have implemented as well, and just the different capital stacks, what that means, and you know how we just maybe even talk about that to investors. Looking forward to getting into that discussion, but grateful for your time.
0: Yes, thank you so much, Whitney, for having me. And uh, before we get started, I just want to mention to your listeners that if you've heard about the Multifamily Investor Nation Summit that's coming up, it's actually coming up on June 11th, 12th, and 13th. We'd love to have you there. And we have over 40 speakers. It's all virtual. And this isn't, we're not just doing it virtual this time because uh, of COVID-19. This is actually the fourth time us doing a virtual live event like this. And we have all these speakers will come in live and you'll still be able to interact with them And uh, you can go to mfinsummit.com to find out more information. And if you use a promo code that we created for Whitney, W-H-I-T-N-E-Y, just his first name, Whitney, then you'll receive $100 off. And then if you purchase your ticket with his promo code, we're going to give 100% of the proceeds to his nonprofit charity as well. So thank you for having me on, Whitney. Looking forward to diving into this and about these these different types of capital stacks. But also, I think one of the best ways for us to start is really kind of discussing what is a capital. Stack because you know, capital stacks have always been there, but it's really kind of a different structure of these capital stacks that's really been something that we've started to see over the last probably you know 12 to 18 months.
1: That was going to be my first question because I know we use terms like that all the time, talking about different things in the syndication business and properties that we're working on or deals. But if somebody's just listening, or even investors that are thinking about investing with an operator, and you're talking about a capital stack or numerous terms that we use you know, it could turn them off in a big way, right? Because if they're confused or if they doubt in any way, their answer is usually going to be no, right? So what is a capital stack, Dan, before we jump in? What does that mean?
0: Yeah. I mean, these terms are sometimes like you said, you know, are confusing for some of the newer investors because they don't know what it is. And I mean, I'll be honest with you. I didn't know what it was in the beginning either. Right. I mean, I kind of understood a little bit as to what it might've you know, been, but to really understand this will help you even when you're in trying to invest yourself, but also as an active syndicator, putting these projects together to have a good grasp on this terminology is important. It's just like even, even preferred returns. You know, I do weekly webinars to our MFIN group. And I did a webinar recently, actually earlier this week week and I pulled over probably 200 people that were on that webinar and I said, how many of you in here have never even heard of the word preferred returns or you just have no clue what it is? And I probably had at least probably 30% of the people that were on that webinar that had no clue what a preferred return is. And so this obviously isn't about preferred returns. We're going to talk about those in another episode with you, which will be important if for some of you who are listening, it, don't know what those are and why they're so important for you. But as far as the capital stack is concerned, it's important to understand this because if I tell you that, you know, your position, in the capital stack is at the bottom, you might think, well... I want to be on the top, right? I want to be at the top of the capital stack. But really, the lower you are on the capital stack, especially from an equity stacking standpoint, it's actually better for you right? And so the actual capital stack itself, and it's not just in multifamily or in in all types of commercial real estate or any other types of, you know, equity structures, even if you're buying a business, it's if you're trying to pay somebody for a particular, you know, product, or if you're trying to pay for them for for a piece of property, how are you going to get the money to be able to buy that particular asset? So in multifamily, obviously, we're talking about these large assets. So let's break it down really easily for everybody quickly, because there's four main components of a capital stack. So at the bottom of the capital stack is going to be your senior debt, right? This is going to be your main lender. They're going to give you that 70 to 80% loan to value. And then above that on this capital stack is going to be some form of maybe preferred equity or a mezzanine debt positions or a secondary loan holder, something like that. And then on top of that is going to be your common equity and your common equity might have a couple of different slices to it, which we're going to talk about two different types of capital stacks today. We're going to talk about a single tier capital stack in that common equity piece. And then we're going to talk about a dual tier structure inside of that common equity piece and break both of those down so that you can understand them because if you understand the nuances of them, it'll help you be able to be more confident when you choose which class of investment you want to be in. But those are the four main pieces, really kind of, I would say there's four because you can have the senior debt position at the bottom. and Then on top of that would be your secondary debt, like a mezzanine debt type of position, which you don't see too often in these types of projects for multifamily. That is one of the pieces that could be there and then on top of that would be your preferred equity and then on top of that would be your common equity. Now there's two different things that you have to understand about the capital stack to really have a better understanding of it. So as you go up the capital stack, the risk in that investment goes higher and higher and higher. So the lower, again conversely, the lower you are in that capital stack, the lower the risk you have. Now the returns are also commensurate with that level of risk which is why when you have a lender who's giving you that debt for you know, 3 know 4%, 5%, they're getting a lower return because their overall risk is a lot, lot lower than anybody else in the stack. Once you start to go above that 70 80%, that's when that level of risk starts to go up. So when you're in a particular project, you need to see where your actual equity would line up and fall in that particular equity stack. And then the second thing you have to understand is your priority in that capital stack. So the bottom of the capital stack is always going to have the highest priority. And as you go up the capital stack, that priority goes down, right? And so obviously the senior lender is going to have the highest priority. And what we mean by priority is, is how are you going to get dispersed on cash flows as well as when you sell the asset? So when you sell the asset, obviously the first thing that gets paid is the debt, right? So the debt's going to get paid first. They're the lowest in the capital stack and they have the highest priority. And then as you go up, those buckets will be filled up as you actually sell the asset too.
1: I love how you break it down and just those tiers. Or just walking through the stack like that, I think that helps build that mental picture as well. But not only thinking about, I mean, you're thinking about the risk, the returns, I mean, and who gets paid first, right? And you're just really laying that out and how it affects each part of that process.
0: Well, and it's important to understand because the more sophisticated you are, and I'm not talking about accredited versus non-accredited. I'm talking about really just being sophisticated enough to understand this capital stack. You will be able to understand how you can, you know, kind of risk mitigate your portfolio right? Because if you're always in a position where you're not maybe in a preferred equity position, maybe you want to look at some of these dual tier structures and be in a preferred equity position. And you also have to run models and analysis to see if I get a higher preferred return, but no participation in the upside and some of these other classes of shares. Well, what would happen to my return if I get more return now and I can reinvest that return? Where will my returns end up being when we're going full cycle on a project? And so understanding where the risks are and where your priorities are will help you understand which one will be the best position for you.
1: So let's jump into the common equity a little bit. I mean, obviously that's going to affect the investors, you know, most people that are listening, while we all need to understand that stack, we need to understand from the bottom to the top, I hope, I hope each investor that's investing in a deal understands that. But you know, what they have to decide ultimately, if we're doing different slices, like you're talking about, if they're single or double or, you know, different ways that they're seeing, they get the offerings from, you know, different operators like us, and then they see something different, like the dual split, you know, it's all of a sudden something new, and it's hard to understand, well, what does this mean for me and my investment or my returns? What's best for me? So let's jump into that a little bit.
0: Yeah. So I want to first talk about the single tier, just real quick, it's something that people have already seen. They understand that pretty straightforward it's pretty straightforward. And I can dive right into that dual one because it's definitely one that has that does create questions. And again, you know, our group tries to have a high touch with our investors. And so if any of our investors have questions, we try to reach out to them. But one thing that I will say is I've been on stage, but also in conferences where other people are on stage where I see the speaker that, you know, that's usually pretty well known. They talk about how investors are kind of have like a lizard brain, if you will. Right. And they're dumb, if you will. And they don't know how to understand these different types of structures. And I would say that's a bunch of baloney, if you will, because these investors didn't come into the money that they have usually because they were dumb. Right. They're usually pretty smart. And they're pretty sure. sophisticated, and if you explain it to them in an understandable fashion, they can get this right. They don't need to just have these those straightforward, you know, basic structures given to them. But you're right; when you have to be able to explain it to them in a fashion that makes sense to them. And in one of our prior episodes that I did with you, we talked about you know how to find high net worth investors and how to build a fence around them so that they'll want to invest with you. And one of the things that we do is we send out a newsletter to our investors. And in that newsletter recently, we actually did an article on this particular topic to educate our investors before we even do a project like this, so they understand the different capital stacks. And so before we start to implement something like this, we want to make sure we educate them. So it's a single tier equity structure. Typically, of course, at the bottom of the capital stack, you're going to still have your senior debt position. And then right after the senior debt, you're going to have your common equity class A. And when we say single tier, we're talking about single tier for the limited partners, right? because right. even though this is a single tier structure you're still going to have two levels inside of the common equity because one's going to be for the GP the operator for their spread on the common equity which would be on this particular scenario a class B share and then the class A share is going to be just a single tier that's the only option you're going to give your investors and usually you're going to see something like a 70 30 split you know 80 20 split somewhere around in there and you're going to have some form of a preferred return some people don't do preferred returns but You know, we're not going to have that conversation today either, but usually you'll see a preferred return in there. That's it. So you only really have one option. There's really no decision other than am I going to invest or am I not going to invest? And as we talked about earlier, you still have priority and preferential treatment over the class B in this situation, which class B is going to be the operator shares, the GP shares, right? So the investor is going to get paid first and then the operator is going to get paid when it comes to getting their initial capital back and any preferred returns before there's any types of equity splits. And then obviously, same thing with risk, they're going to be in the middle piece of the capital stack, so it has, you know, moderate risk. And then, of course, the GP is actually going to have the highest risk in this particular capital stack. So that's the single tier. It's usually pretty straightforward, easy to understand. The second one that we're going to talk about today is called the dual tier equity structure a dual tier is going to be similar in makeup to the single tier but you're going to have two slices of the common equity for the investors to choose from. You're going to have class A and you're going to have class B. And then of course in this one you're also going to have class C which is going to be for your operator your GP shares, right? So inside of the investors shares though, you're going to have that class A which really acts as a preferred equity piece. So you can call this preferred equity class A, if you will, for shares. And then after that, you're gonna have class B, and then which is gonna be typically like your your single tier where you're gonna have that 70-30 split, participation with the upside, and then of course your common equity C, which is gonna be your GP or operating shares. And some of you might be thinking, he's going through this really quick. And that's one of the nice things about doing podcasts, (laughs) is if somebody's talking really slow, you can actually speed it up, right? But if somebody's talking really fast, like I typically tend to do, you can also slow it down and listen to it at one and a half if you want, or back rewind it and listen to it again. I just get really excited when I talk about multifamily investing. And so it's hard to slow it down, Whitney. But those are the different, that's the dual tier and the single tier. But the biggest thing with the dual tier is in that class A, because it's in a lower position of the capital stack it has higher priority over the other common equity pieces and so they call that a preferred equity piece and they don't get as much they don't get any participation of the upside so that's usually about a nine to ten percent preferred return no participation in the upside because that rest of that upside is being given to the class b investor and it lowers the risk for that preferred equity piece and you're going to get higher yield month over month, because you're in the lower position of the capital stack.
1: What's the upside? You talk about upside, just in case somebody doesn't know what you're referring to there. What does that mean? So what the upside we're talking about is in class A in that preferred equity piece,
0: you're going to have a capped return, right? So they're going to say your preferred return is either nine or 10%. And you're going to get no upside, meaning when we sell the asset, or if the cash flows go above that point, you won't get any more than nine or 10%. And so what you're doing there is, is you're, well, if you've invested in class B, then you're going to get lower cash flows, right? And then, but you're going to still get a higher return overall. When you actually sell the asset, you'll get a higher return because you're participating on that upside and the appreciation of that asset when you sell it. But you're giving up on class A, that participation in the upside of that sale of that asset to be in the lower position of the capital stack because the way it works and the priority levels is that before anybody else gets paid, the class B's or the class C as the operator, the class A's must get paid their 9% or 10% first before anybody else. And so it's as close to a guarantee as you can give to an investor even though there's still not a guarantee but it's as close to a guarantee as you can get. Especially because this is usually only about 25 to 35% of the capital stack. If it was more like the other way around, where it was like 60 or 70% of the capital stack on that preferred equity piece, it's gonna be a little bit out of balance. And so the lower amount of class A that's available, it lowers your risk as an investor in that particular equity slice because there's only a limited amount of investors that are in that particular piece of the capital stack.
1: So I was going to say there's usually going to be a lot less investors in that, but then there's also going to be a higher minimum investment as well,
0: right? Yeah. Typically, you'll see about $100,000 as a minimum investment. I've seen some be up to $250,000. And so you definitely are going to have some extra restrictions there, which, you know, is going to be, you know, if I might prevent some people from being able to invest in that one.
1: So could you give us an example, Dan, of maybe an investor, maybe their situation a little bit, why, you know, one tier worked for them as opposed to the other or, you know, one class as opposed to the other and, you know, just helping that investor think through their situation a little bit and why they might pick one over the other
0: sure so let's talk about in this dual tier structure let's talk about the class B first so this is just the common equity they get participation in the upside lower preferred return so instead of getting that 9 or 10 percent in class A, they're gonna maybe get like 7 or 8 percent in this class B and the person who wants to be in there is gonna be somebody who really doesn't need a lot of cash flows right now they're willing to kind of take lower cash flows to have higher participation on the upside or when we actually sell that asset right and so that's somebody who's maybe still still working right now. They're still, you know, producing revenue. They don't really need any cash flows. Now, opposite of that is somebody who's maybe retired, right? Or getting close to retirement. And I had an investor call me the other day in one of our projects. And he said, I think I'm just going to invest in class A because I don't know if I'm going to live to see this deal go full cycle. He's like, I might only live for the next five to seven years Mm -hmm. or something like that. And so he's like, I prefer to have the higher cash flows now to be able to use those to live off of instead of waiting for the full cycle of the deal. And so that's a perfect example as to why somebody might want to be in this position is if they want to live off the cash flows, right? And we have several investors that actually do that. But then you also have the more sophisticated investor that says, if I can invest in class A and get 10% or 9% right now, I can reinvest those cash flows and still get a high return, but I have lower risk. And so it just depends on the investor and how comfortable they are in the abilities to be able to reinvest that Class A money that they're getting from distributions.
1: Okay. So somebody, like you said, uh, that's an interesting thought. They can invest in the Class A, they get more cash flow now, and then they just turn right back around and invest that capital faster.
0: So, Danny on our team is actually in the process of putting together a model to actually figure that process out of of what would be a typical return that you could get if you reinvested these proceeds every single month. And whether you put it into some sort of like, you know, a low risk or moderate, you know, mutual fund versus maybe a money market account that gets a lower return. But how would those returns shake out depending on which investment the vehicle you redistributed it into?
1: Love that, and you can also split between a couple. A lot of times, right? You know, maybe a hundred thousand dollar minimum, but we might do oh, at seventy five and one, twenty five and another. How do you normally see that?
0: Yeah, so that would actually be what we call our blended option. So you have a blended return. So if you put, you know, like you said, twenty-five, seventy-five, or fifty-fifty, or however you want to split it up, the minimum is a hundred total investment usually, and so they can split that hundred up between Class A and Class B, um, however they want, or they can put all of it in one or all of it in the other. Right? Usually in Class B, you're going to have a lower minimum. There's usually only about fifty thousand dollar minimum, but somebody who is like, well, I want a little bit of higher cash flows now, but I still want a participation in the upside. It's nice to kind of have that diversified portfolio and risk in the same investment by having that blended option of investing in both asset
1: classes. So have you seen any other capital stacks that are different than maybe what we've discussed? And we won't have time to jump into them, but anything else that you've seen operators do that maybe we could at least make people familiar with, or at least to start to learn about?
0: Yeah, so there's a lot of different ways to structure these things. And sure. I even recently saw one come out where they had a third party come in and actually bring in the preferred equity piece. And then on top of that, they had their own preferred equity piece with this dual tier and common equity and then the GP shares. And so there's a lot of different unique ways to how to structure this. The same way that there's different ways to actually kind of lay out the waterfall, if you will, of how these different returns might change and split over the life of the property and over when you're actually giving out proceeds. When I say waterfall, I'm talking about you know if I give right now seven or eight percent as a preferred return to the investors. Well, once we hit an next hurdle in the waterfalls, so they call those hurdles. Once we get to say maybe twelve or thirteen percent IRR when we sell the asset the equity splits might change from that original 70-30 split to maybe 50-50. And I've seen where they have dual hurdles in the waterfalls, but I've seen you know three, four, and five different hurdles in the waterfall structures, and it does make it a little bit more complex. But usually with our group, the way we handle it is we do what's called performance-based hurdle. Because again, we're trying to make sure our investors get the returns that we originally projected. So if we project a you know 15% IRR or a 20% IRR then we want to make sure that they can get that but if we outperform the property and it goes above that then that's when we change our splits from 70 30 to 50 50 to incentivize the operations to be able to outperform that property
1: before we run out of time Dan what's a couple questions maybe as a passive investor that they should be asking the operator i know we've talked about some of this in previous episodes but specifically about the way the stack is Sure. Well, I think the biggest thing you have to do is not only just asking them, but
0: also reviewing the PPM, the private placement memorandum, very closely and the operating agreement to understand where your position really is in this capital stack structure. Because obviously, you know, we're talking about capital stacks where that preferred equity is on the bottom and then you have the common equity on top, but there can also be a difference of that where they're almost like at the same level right? And then you have this problem with being able to potentially not be able to get some of your investment money back if the deal starts to fall through. And so in that preferred equity position, one of the things that's important is that priority. Because if the deal starts to fall through, and it's only 25 to 35% of the capital stack, if the deal falls through, and there's money to distribute at the end of the deal, guess what? you want to make sure as a preferred equity person that you're getting your initial capital back first before anybody else does. That's why it's lower risk because you're getting that preferred return first and you're getting the cash flows first and then you're going to also get your initial capital back too. And so, but some operating agreements aren't written that way. They're written where if you sell the asset, then the initial capital is given back pro rata sharing based on your investment amount with class A and class B. And I don't want to have that. So that's a big question mark that you got to have when you're looking at investing with these is looking at that distribution schedule on the sale, on cash flows, and also on any type of capital event, like a refinance or a supplemental loan.
1: Nice, Dan, I love the way you've explained this and laid out the capital stack so all of us can understand, better understand how that works. It can be very confusing if you're first coming in as a passive investor or even just trying to become an operator, thinking about what all that means. So grateful for your time. Tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you, learn more about you and PassiveInvesting.com, but also the summit that's coming up. Sure. So if you
0: want to find out more information about our group and possibly join us on one of our future properties, you can always go to PassiveInvesting.com. On the top right-hand corner of the page is a little button that says, join the Passive Investing Club. And so you can join our club. I'll have my assistant reach out to you, schedule a phone call one-on-one with me to discuss your investment goals and see if we're a good fit we're not a good fit for everybody and we want to make sure we have investors that want to be with us for the long term and so love to be able to have that conversation with you and then the second thing is is about the summit coming up you can go to mfinsummit.com and find out more information about the summit it's coming up on june 11th 12th and 13th and, uh, and if you're listening to this after june you can obviously still go there and find out that for the next one which is already scheduled in january 2021 And if you go there and you use the promo code Whitney, W-H-I-T-N-E-Y, you'll get $100 off your ticket and you'll be able to support Whitney's organization, his nonprofit, because we're going to be giving 100% of the proceeds from the ticket sales from his promo code to the nonprofit. So go there now, check it out. Love to have you there. We're planning on having over 1,000 investors at this event. We had over 800 of them in the January one that we did this year and uh, looking forward to having everybody there. Thank you so
1: much, Whitney, for having me on. My pleasure, Dan, as always. So head over to lifebridgecapital.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with me, sign up on the Contact Us page so you can talk to me directly. Have a blessed day and I will talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge
0: Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital.